I've been receiving a lot of emails this past several weeks from our missionaries saying thank you for the Christmas and October offering. Uh, right before we sent the check to them, I sent an email to them telling them the money you are going to receive as a, a gift from our church, it is not for the ministry, it's for you personally. We want you to be selfish, we want you to spend on yourself and your family uh, and not for the ministry itself. And boy, they are so grateful for the amount that you sent, but also that they can be selfish because so much of the life is thinking of others and not themselves. So they're so grateful. And so I've been receiving a lot of emails uh, saying thank you. So on their behalf, thank you so much for your generosity that we can give our missionaries a Christmas gift. We're about to celebrate one of the most wonderful days of the year, something unique to America called Thanksgiving. How many like Thanksgiving? Giving thanks should not be only once a year, though. It should be a regular activity, a habitual practice, something we do all the time. In other words, your life as a believer ought to be characterized with gratitude, with thankfulness. Our verse there in Colossians chapter 2, the, verse, the part of the verse we read together, it says abounding therein with thanksgiving. The word abounding means superbounding to be in excess overflowing. Your life as a believer ought to overflow with gratitude for all that God has done is doing in your life. But it's sad to say many Christians are not grateful. They seem to be bitter about many things. I have found that in life, there are four levels of life when it comes to thanksgiving. The first level is this. There are those who are not thankful for anything. But contrary, they're constantly complaining, constantly bickering, constantly griping, rather than being a great, a humbly grateful, the grumbly, grumbly hateful. I read a story one time about a man, a husband, that was always complaining about something. And his wife set it out to do everything she could to please her husband, to do something he might be grateful about. So the night before the next day, she come to her husband and said, Honey, I want to make your favorite breakfast. You tell me what you want, and I'll cook it for you. And he said, Okay, I, I want two eggs. I want one fried and one scrambled. I want the fried over easy and the scrambled after that. I want two pieces of toast. I want a white toast with butter. I want wheat toast with jelly. I want grits. I want juice. And I want a coffee. She said, oh, I'll be happy to do that for you, honey. So the next morning she got up and cooked all that for him. He come out, set a table, and enjoyed the beautiful breakfast the wife made for him. And she thought, hopefully he's pleased, hopefully he's grateful. And said, honey, how did you like the breakfast? He said, well, only one complaint. You, you fried the wrong egg. <laughs> There's some people always uh, complaining about something, always bickering like that. That's the first level of thankfulness when it comes in life. The second level is this. There's some people who don't complain, but they never give thanks. They don't grumble all the time. They're just honestly ungrateful people. They never say thank you to God for anything. They're like the hog under the tree, oak tree, eating all the acorns, enjoying the acorns down there abundantly, but never look up and see where it comes from. In other words, many of us consume God's blessings, but never look up to say thank you. The third level, there are those who are grateful, express gratitude for the obvious blessings. They're grateful for the blessing of health, prosperity, friends, family, their church. They thank God, and that's good. There are thankful for the obvious blessings. But today I want to talk about the fourth level. The fourth level is this. 
uh, and giving thanks always for all things, no matter what it is, a continual, perpetual thankfulness to God. This morning, I want to talk about steadfastly giving thanks. This ought to be true of every Christian. How many know 1 Corinthians 15, 58? Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Christian, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in giving thanks. Your life ought to be characterized, overflowing the gratitude to the Lord. But many Christians are not. So this morning, I'm going to talk about that. Believers should be steadfastly in giving thanks. Why? As a Christian, why should I give thanks? Let me give you three reasons why. I hope you write them down. In your bulletin, there's an insert. I hope you take it out and fill out the blanks. First of all, we should steadfastly give thanks. First of all, because giving thanks is God's will for our life. Giving thanks is God's will for our lives. Turn to me, please, to the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, page 1665, if you're using a church Bible. It is God's will for every child of God to be grateful and to be thankful in our lives. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. A familiar verse when it comes to being thankful, but I want you to notice what it says here. 1 Thessalonians 5, 18. It says, in everything, give thanks. Why? For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. It is God's will for you as a believer to give thanks. Why? Giving thanks is God's command. Giving thanks is God's command. Here God commands. He doesn't recommend. This is not a suggestion. It's a command. He says, in everything, give thanks. That's God's command to the child of God to be grateful what he does for you. 1 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 8. It says, Give thanks unto the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the people. Again, a command. God commands us to give thanks. Next, giving thanks is a choice. It's a choice you make as a Christian to express your gratitude for what God's doing in your life. We ought to give thanks, choose to, in spite of circumstances. How many realize sometimes circumstances are not very pleasant? We can go through difficult, hard times. However, God says, give thanks. In spite of emotions or feelings. The pastor, I don't feel like giving thanks. Do it anyway. Why? <laughs> I remember as a boy, my dad would tell me to do something I didn't want to do. And I always respond, but why? Why? And sometimes he would explain why. Sometimes he would just say, because I said so. My friend, Christian, why should you give thanks? Because God said so. That should be sufficient. And we should go home. That'd be fine, because God said so. Because God said to do that. It is submitting ourselves to his will, choosing to obey his word. Giving thanks is submitting ourselves to his will, choosing to obey his word. It is God's will for our lives. How many believe God's will is best for your life? That includes giving thanks. Giving thanks is God's will for your life. Next, number two. Giving thanks is an act of faith. Giving thanks is an act of faith, is an act of believing what God says. Notice here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, first of all, we are told to give thanks, it says, in everything. In everything. It says, in everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. That means in every situation, 
good, bad, happy, sad, in the midst of the most difficult times, I am to give thanks to God. That's what he says, in everything. But all, Philippians 4, 6, be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So Christian, you are to give thanks in everything, but also at all times. At all times. Go with me now to Ephesians, please, chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Now, I want you to see this is not something the pastor's making up. It's not my opinion. It's what God's word says to you as a Christian. I am to give thanks in everything, but also at all times. Ephesians 5, verse 20. The first one talks about the dimensions and everything. The next one, duration at all times. In chapter 5, verse 20, page 1649, if you're using a church Bible. Chapter 5, verse 20, it says, giving thanks, what's the third word? Always. By the way, is that true of you? Do you give thanks only when things are going well? Do you give thanks always, at all times? All, the word always means at all times. But read on, not only in everything, at all times, but it says for all things. Ephesians 5.20, giving thanks always for what? All things. The word all things, the expositor Bible has the notes, said this. For all things, for evil days as well as good days, nothing comes altogether amiss to the child of God. In the heaviest loss, the severest pain, the sharpest sting of injury, in everything we are to give thanks. That's what God says. Now listen, please. This is easy preaching, hard living. It's easy to give thanks when you get a raise. It's easy to give thanks when you have good health. It's easy to give thanks when everything's going well. But God says in everything, when you lost your job, when you're sick, when things are going bad, in everything, God give thanks. Not just sometimes, but all times for all things. That's what the Bible says. So what I'm saying here next is... Faith requires believing. Faith requires believing. Turn with me to Hebrews 11, please. Hebrews chapter 11. I am told, commanded by God, to give thanks in everything, at all times, for all things. This requires faith. This requires believing what the Bible says about God. Hebrews 11, verse 6, page 1693, near the back of your Bibles. Hebrews 11, verse 6. Notice what it says here about faith. Hebrews 11, verse 6. But without faith, it is what? Impossible to please God. So in order for me to please God, I must have faith. Faith in what God says to me is true. But read on. For he that cometh to God must believe that he, what? Is. That he is what? I want to give you three things. First of all, that he is sovereign, that God is sovereign. How many believe God is sovereign? Amen. What that means, God's in control. He not only rules the universe, he's in control of what happens in your life. Nothing happens to you as a child of God without going across the desk of God with his permission. He's either caused it, he's allowed it, but, my friend, God's in control. Everything that happens to us or comes in our lives is controlled or orchestrated by God. Do you believe that? 
my friend, whether you believe it or not, is true. God is sovereign and in control. Not only do you believe that he is, is sovereign, but also that he's good. How do you believe God's good? But I want you to write in that he's always good. He's always good. How many believe that? Now, I had a lot less hands there. <laughs> he's always good. It means that our Heavenly Father always does and only allows what is good for us. How many know Romans 8.28? Probably the most popular verse in the Bible. It says, for we know that what? All things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose. It did not say all things are good. It says all things work together for good. That means God's sovereign, he's in control, and he allows things that may not be good in a sense, so they look upon them, but God's going to work them together for my good. They may be hurtful, painful, unpleasant, but God has allowed it and working together for my good. In his providence, God orchestrates every event in life, prosperity and blessings, suffering and pain, to accomplish both for our temporal and eternal good. God's in control. He is good, always good. That means he's good when we go through hard times. God is good, always good, even when we go through hard times. Turn your Bibles, please, the Old Testament. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Turn with me, please. Deuteronomy chapter 8, page 293. Deuteronomy chapter 8. God is good when we go through hard times. And if things do not change with the country, we're going to see, already have seen, we're going to see hard times. We need to realize, even amidst all that, God is good. Deuteronomy chapter 8, in verse 15. Deuteronomy 8, 15. Here Moses speaking to the children of Israel, and look what he said to them. In verse 15, talking about God, who led thee through the great and what? Terrible wilderness. In other words, the wilderness was a terrible place to be, hot and cold and lacking what they need to live on. God led them. Would God lead you through terrible times? He did the Jews. Read on. Who led thee through great and terrible wilderness, wherein were fiery serpents and scorpions and drought where there was no water. Would God lead people where there's serpents, where there's scorpions, and where there's no water? He did the Jews. Read on. He goes on to say, who brought thee forth water out of the rock of Flint, verse 16, who fed thee in the wilderness with manna, which their fathers knew not. Why? That he might humble thee, that he might prove thee, and read on. Underline in your Bibles, and to do thee what? Good all at thy latter end. God led them to a place that was a bit terrible. No water, fiery serpents, scorpions, because he wanted to show them good, do them good. He is good when things when we go through hard time. Next, he's good when he when he allows others to mistreat us. He is good when he allows others to mistreat us. I don't know about you. Some of the most hurtful things is when family mistreats you. But God allows that. Is God in control? Yes. And he allowed sometimes our family, our friends, to mistreat us. Go, no need to go there. It's on the screen. How many know the story of Joseph? Read about Joseph. Joseph was the uh, favorite son of his father, Jacob. 
And because he was favored, he showed, Jacob showed favoritism toward him. And the Bible says his brothers hated him. Hated him because of that. And hated him so much they wanted to kill him. And one brother says, there's no benefit, no profit in killing him. This sell him to slave. So they sold his, son, his brother uh, Joseph as a slave. We know the story. He took him down to Egypt. In Egypt, Potiphar bought him, and he became a servant to Potiphar. And while he was a servant to Potiphar, God blessed him, and he served Potiphar well. And Potiphar's wife set his eyes upon Joseph and said, come lie with me, and wanted to lie with him physically. And, and of course, Joseph said, no, I will not do that. And what did she do? She lied and said Joseph tried to rape her. And what did Potiphar do? Potiphar threw him in jail. He was in jail for several years there. And long story short, because he was able to interpret dreams, God gave a dream to Pharaoh that there would be seven years of plentiful and seven years of famine. And because Joseph interpreted the dream, Pharaoh made him the second man in Egypt. And during that seven years of plenty, he stored up all kind of food. Then they become seven years of famine. And all the people around him without food because the famine went to Egypt for food. And guess who went with him? Joseph's brothers. All of a sudden, here's Joseph, the second man in command, and his, and his brothers standing before him. And they feared for their lives. And what did Joseph say to them in Genesis 50, verse 20? But as for me, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto what? Wow. God allowed Joseph's brothers to treat him mean, nasty, and, and painfully. And, God, and Joseph said, you meant it for evil. But God meant it for good. God can take the mistreatment of others, as pain may be, and turn it for our good. How many say praise the Lord? My friend, that's what God can do. He's good when others mistreat us, but also he's good even when we are afflicted. He's good even when we are afflicted. Go with me now to Psalm 119, please. Psalm 119. In the midst of your physical, financial, marital, just all kind of afflictions you may go through, my friend, God is still good. Page 911. Interesting. 911. Psalm 119, please. Look in verse 65. Psalm 119, verse 65. David said, Thou hast dealt well with thy servant, O Lord, according to thy word. Look in verse 67. David said, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now have I kept thy word. Verse 68. Thou art what? Good. And thou doest good. Teach me thy statutes. Verse 71. It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. In the midst of his affliction, David said, Lord, you're good. You've been good to me. And all that you've allowed is for my good. Even when we're afflicted, my friend, God is good. Listen, let me share this with you. In the commentary written by Albert Barnes, here's what he said about this. He said, our afflictions are entirely under the direction of God. They may be endlessly varied and adapted to the case of every individual working together for his good, by sickness, by disappointment, by loss of property, by bereavement, by shattered hopes, by unkindness of professed friends, by malice of enemies, by domestic troubles, 
by the misconduct of children, perhaps the most severe of all human ills that are hardest to bear. Whatever may be the form of affliction, it is for our good, the design is benevolent, and the result is for our benefit. That's what the Bible teaches. So this requires faith. It requires trusting also. Faith requires trusting. Faith requires believing, believing that God is sovereign, that he is always good. Faith requires trusting. How many know Proverbs 3, 5? It says, trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and what? Lean not to thy own understanding. Look at me, please. When we go through a hard time, we can't understand how that's good, how it can work together for good. We can't understand, well, I'm going through pain. How is that going to be for my good? We go through difficulties. I think I share with you, uh, 2022 of January, I had a heart attack. God said, that's for my good. Now, I don't may not understand it, but I believe it. Why? That's what God says. And so it requires trusting. I have to trust God that that was for my good. What physical problem are you having? What is it you're going through that's hurt so much, that's caused so much pain? My friend, ultimately, it is for your good. That's what the Bible says. And by the way, you ought to give thanks. Easy preaching, hard living. But I, in the process of this message, I say, Lord, thank you for my heart attack. Can I share something with you? A peace flooded my soul. A peace flooded my soul when I thank God for my heart attack. Now, he said, Pastor, that's kind of stupid. That's what the Bible says. In everything, for all things, at all times, give thanks. Are you giving thanks for your problems? My friend, God says to do that. Now, we're talking about steadfastly giving thanks. Why? Number one, because it's God's will for your life. Number two, it's an act of faith of believing. And number three, number three, giving thanks is for our benefit. Giving thanks is for our benefit. Let me give you some benefits of gratitude. Benefits of gratitude. Gratitude has a profound impact on a person's life. For example, it will give you a whole new outlook on life. Gratitude will give you a whole new outlook in life. When, you're, when you make a conscious decision to be grateful for all things, you'll begin to see life in a whole new perspective. It will enable you to see even the negative things in a positive light. Let me say that again. When you make a conscious decision to be grateful for all things, you will begin to see life in a whole new perspective. It will enable you to see even the negative things in a positive light. Next, it will eliminate griping and complaining. If you're grateful for all things, it will eliminate griping and complaining. How can a man gripe about something that's good for him? How can a person complain about what he's grateful for? The third thing, the benefits of gratitude, it will keep you from getting bitter. It will keep you from getting bitter. Bitterness is like an acid that destroys the container that houses it. And many Christians are bitter toward God resentful to God for what God has allowed. And they don't realize God's allowed it ultimately for their good. Someone said bitterness reflects a smoldering resentment. Many believers are resentful, bitter at God because of what God has allowed. But they don't realize God is sovereign and God is always good. And he's allowed something there so 
angry about, ultimately for their good. It's no wonder David wrote the verse, look on the screen, Psalm 92, verse 1. David said, it is a good thing to give thanks unto the Lord and to sing praises unto thy name, O Most High. I looked up the word good. You know what the word good means? It means beneficial. It's a beneficial thing to give thanks to the Lord. So it is for my benefit. That's the reason I should give uh, thanks. The benefits of gratitude. Now let's talk about the effects of ingratitude. The effects of ingratitude. You may be one of those people that complain about everything, that you're like a rain cloud walking around, and when everybody gets around you, they just uh, effect, rubs, rubs off on them. But let me show the effects it has upon your life and the effects it has upon other people's life. Go with me now to Romans chapter 1. Let's look at the effects of ingratitude. And by the way, ingratitude, bitterness sometimes is a learned pattern of behavior. If you're raised in a home when you had parents who are constantly complaining and bickering about things, chances are you will too. My friend, you need to Look at what your Heavenly Father says about the situation and adapt his ways, not necessarily the ways of your parents if they were constantly complaining. The effects of ingratitude. Romans chapter 1, it talks about the downward spiral of people in general. It says in verse 21, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, read on, neither were what? Th thankful. So he talks about the downward spiral of people and one of the steps to get down there was ungratefulness. Here are the effects of ingratitude. First of all, number one, ingratitude causes vain thinking and foolish reasoning. Ingratitude causes vain thinking and foolish reasoning. Again, it says in verse 21, because when they knew not God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations. They begin to think things about God are not true. They begin to reason in their mind that God is not good. He's a horrible God. He's not a good God, contrary to his word. You begin to think foolishly. The next thing it does, the next effect, ingratitude causes foolish and a darkened heart. Ingratitude creates a foolish and darkened heart. Again, the latter part of that verse, they glorified him not as God, Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Your heart becomes dark toward the things of God, and which leads to two things. Don't miss this. This ought to scare you to death. Ingratitude. Foolish thinking, a darkened heart, which leads to idolatry. Look in verse 23, please. 23 and change the glory of the incorruptible God into an image like made like unto corruptible man, and the birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. A darkened heart leads to idolatry, and next, moral uncleanness. We'll talk about the effects of ingratitude. Notice all this began because they were not thankful. Moral uncleanness. Look in verse 24. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. How many know a Christian has ever fell into moral immorality? If you could trace it back, it would go all the way back to sometime they become ungrateful to God. 
Unthankfulness is a root that you'll find that brings forth immorality. That's what Scripture teaches. These are the effects of ingratitude. In other words, Paul is saying this. The unwillingness to render gratitude to God causes intellectual, spiritual, and moral corruption and ruin. Let me say that again. The unwillingness to render gratitude to God causes intellectual, spiritual, and moral corruption and ruin. I like what Dr. Bob Jones Sr. said. Look on the screen. When gratitude dies on the altar of a man's heart, that man is well nigh hopeless. How true that is. When gratitude dies on the altar of a man's heart, that man is well nigh hopeless. One of the greatest things you do for your life, Christian, is be grateful. Thank God what he's done. We're talking about today being steadfast, abounding in giving thanks. Why? Giving thanks is God's will for your life. Giving thanks is an act of faith, believing God, and giving thanks is for our benefit. How many know Psalms 100? Let me read it to you. Verse 2, it says, Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving. Enter his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. Why? For he, the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting and his truth endureth all generations. God says, come into his presence with thanksgiving. That ought to be the characterization of every Christian. I want to close with a simple verse and, and make a statement to you. The verse I believe on the screen. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 15. Look what it says there. Thanks be unto God for his what? Unspeakable gift. What does the word unspeakable mean? It means indescribable. Something so wonderful that words cannot even describe it. You know what that is? Salvation. The gift of salvation. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is what? Eternal life. Close your Bibles. Look up here, please. Let me say this. How am I grateful that God saved you? What did God save you from? He saved you from the penalty and the power of your sin. Death and hell and sin ruin your life. That's what God does. Now, listen, please. Let's suppose that that's all God did. That when you trusted him, he saved you from hell. But he didn't do anything else. He left you on your own and left everything and did nothing else for you. My friend, you ought to be eternally grateful for the rest of your life eternity that God saved you from hell. Someone said the greatest thing God can do to a Christian is allow him to go to hell for five minutes. He'll come back a changed man. And boy, would he be thankful for God's salvation. But God will not do that. But God, I'm going to talk about a cake and icing and ice cream. The cake is salvation. That's God's gift to you. But in life, he puts toppings on it. He puts ice cream all over it. He does so much more. And so we have so much to be thankful for. In the midst of the cake and ice cream, God allows hurt. He allows pain. He allows suffering. My friend, it's all under God's control. We have a Heavenly Father that's omnipotent, all-powerful, sovereign, who loves me and always wants what's best for me. And my friend, my God is always good. Do you believe that? Next time you're in a, going through hard times, tell yourself that. Next time someone mistreats you, remind yourself of that. Next time you go through affliction, say, my friend, God's always good. He's allowed this for my good. I don't understand it. I'm just simply to trust him. 
Let's bow together, please. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, this morning I've been speaking to those of you that are saved, those of you that know Christ as Savior, that heaven's your home, that God wants your life to be characterized with gratefulness. God commands it. That's his command to you. It's your benefit to you. It's to your best interest to be grateful to God because we saw the effects of ingratitude. One of the best things you could do, Christian, is express and show gratefulness to God. But if you're here today and you're not certain heaven's your home, that you have never received God's gift of eternal life, my friend, that's what God wants to do today. He wants to save you. He wants to give you a free gift that cost you nothing. It cost him everything. It cost him the death of his son. It cost his son his life on the cross. Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for your sin. He was buried and rose again. And the Bible says we're all sinners. And we all owe a penalty. And if we pay the penalty, we have to die and go to hell to do it. But God in his mercy, compassion, his love provided a substitute. God sent his son to this earth to pay the penalty for you. He died in your place, was buried, and rose again. And God offers you eternal life as a gift. And thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift that he gives those who trust him. If you have trusted him, my friend, have you ever thanked God for your salvation? Why not do it right now? But if you've never trusted Christ, why not do that now? Why not talk to God and place your dependence, your faith in Christ to be your Savior? Salvation is not obtained by doing something, but by resting upon that which is done. It's not gained by trying, my friend. It's gained by trusting. Trusting Christ as your Savior. Why not do it right now? Why not talk to God? And maybe say something like this. In your own thoughts, only he knows your thoughts. You cannot go wrong. Say something like this. Dear Father in heaven, dear God of heaven, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. And because I've sinned, I've earned. I deserve your punishment. But God, I believe Jesus, your son, was punished in my place. The judgment that I deserve, that I have earned, Jesus took upon himself. And there on the cross, bearing my sin and shame, he died for me. He suffered, bled and died for my sin, was buried, and he rose again. And God realized that I cannot save myself. I'm trusting Christ to save me. I'm trusting him to forgive me and give me eternal life. My friend, did you do that today? If you did, according to the Bible, heaven's now your home. And you can say, like most people here, thanks be unto God for his indescribable, unspeakable gift, gift of salvation. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I'd like to know if anyone did that today. I really get excited when I see someone understand the gospel and trust Christ. If you did that today with heads bowed and eyes are closed, one moment, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. And raise your hand doesn't save you. I want to pray for you. My prayer for you doesn't save you. It's Christ that saves you when you trust him. But if you did that today for the first time, with heads bowed and eyes are closed, only I would know this and you know this, that you made that decision to trust Christ, would you simply raise your hand today so I can pray for you? And with all, Pastor, here's my hand. I trusted Christ. Would you pray for me? And with all this morning, here's my hand, Pastor. I, want, I trusted Christ. Heads bowed and eyes are closed. Christian, is your life characterized by gratefulness? Is your life characterized by thankfulness? Are you steadfast giving thanks? How many say, Pastor, to be honest, that does not characterize my life. 
There's so much in my life I am not grateful for. There's so much in my life that I complain about. So much in my life that I do not express gratitude. And pastor, I realize I need to change. I realize I need to command, follow the command of God and express gratitude because that's for my benefit. That's for my good. Pastor, would you pray for me? If that's your prayer this morning, would you raise your hand so I can pray for you? Yes. Oh, my. Oh, yes. Pastor, pray for me. I'm not grateful like I ought to be. Would you pray for me? Anyone else, please? Yes, all over. Thank you so much. Father in heaven, thank you for the honesty of your people. Many should have raised their hand but did not. So many have said they're not grateful. Their life is not characterized by abounding gratefulness. But, Father, they desire to. So, Father, I pray that you take this message today and uh, help them understand that you are sovereign. Nothing happens to their life without your permission, that you're always good. Even in the midst of the bad, you're good. Help them to realize that. Help them begin to say thank you for all things and everything at all times. Help us be obedient to the word of God and be grateful people. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Brother Terry.